The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Wow, I can't believe I can finally get to be at The Springs. This is great. Uh, I would also say to me, to me how I would love to be introduced here is I'm the uncle of our cellist today, Camden, and of his brother, Christopher. So... Those are my nephews. I'm proud of them. They're good boys. Um, you guys, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, for one thing, that meant that we made it through last night, right? Oh, man. I've been in Nashville most of the week, and apparently uh, you guys have been, as I hear, binge-watching David Payne and Mike Morgan for <laughs> nights on end. Um, Another night of storms and sirens and thunder and lightning and flooding and rains and our phones making those terrible, awful sounds at the most inopportune times. And I mean, last night it felt like just no warning at all. And oh man, and I'm, I'm heartbroken about two lost lives. This is, you know, it's serious. It's serious. It's a lot. And I think sometimes in Oklahoma, we get desensitized. There's there's such a legacy of suffering and struggle in this state, really from the very beginning, if we can be honest with ourselves, uh, that uh, suffering and struggle sometimes can almost, we can almost pick ourselves up too quickly and then just move on. Um, I was thinking about struggle the other day. I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago. Did you see uh, the window washers at the top of the Devon Tower? Before you play this video, like, I'm just, this is like an actual nightmare of mine. You, when you go to the Devon Tower just to look at it, you think, boy, I'd sure hate to wash the windows on that thing. I don't even know if I can eat in vast tonight unless you're paying for it, but it, it just feels like too much. It just feels too big. And so uh, if you didn't see this, uh, if you didn't see this, let's watch this video. These the high-rise rescue some 50 stories up. Two window washers at work on a lift swinging violently. Look at that. Slamming into the building and this swinging back and forth. It lasted for an hour. Then the rescue playing out on live TV. And here's ABC's Marcus Moore. Terrifying video tonight of the drama high above the streets of Oklahoma City. A lift swinging violently out of control, smashing the Devon Tower. And look closely. That is two window washers hanging on. The incident unfolding 50 stories in the air. Oklahoma City's KOCO TV getting these exclusive pictures of the dramatic rescue atop the state's tallest building. Watch again. You can see the lift as it pummels the building, twisting metal, glass plummeting 800 feet to the ground. They were on a ride that no one would want to experience. Videos from the ground showing the desperate rescue effort to save those two men. A team of firefighters manages to throw a rope to the workers to finally stabilize the lift, bringing an end to that horrific ride. In that situation, to have the composure to catch a rope bag to secure it while swinging is amazing. And David, this went on for nearly an hour. Both of these men are unheard, and tonight officials believe strong winds may have played a role in what happened. David? All right, Marcus, our thanks to you. Hi, everyone. George okay. here. I mean, just how many emotions come into you just as you watch the video from your seat at church? It's a, there's a lot going on there. And I, I think about, um, you, you wouldn't know this, but my training, and you may know it here in about 20 minutes when I'm done, but my training is not as a preacher. It is a, as a psychologist, as a therapist. And so 
uh, that I'm always interested in the emotions and the, and the thoughts that go into our behaviors. There's a study that I was reading about recently said there's three things that people need to be happy. And I want you to consider this. The older you are, the more certainly you will agree with me on this. And these are the three things. You need safety, you need satisfaction, and you need connection. Think about what you need from life when, when the chips are down, when times are hard. What do you need more than anything else? You don't need to make sure that the shirt matches your pants. You don't. You don't need to make sure that everybody thinks you're funny. You need to know that you're safe and that you're satisfied. I mean like you're content and that you are connected. Those poor window washers had literally none of those three things. None of those three. And we're all looking for them. We're all looking for them. I think, I was thinking about those guys that night. You think, what do you think when they, when they got home? What do you think they did? Hey, honey, let's go out. I want to have a big, loud celebration. Let's have a party. They did not want that. They, they probably took the first bubble by, bath of their lives that night. <laughs> they, probably, they probably got up in the attic and got down their old teddy bear and, and rented a therapy dock for the night and just laid on the couch. Because when your life is literally twisting in the wind, 900 feet off the ground or right here in this space today, these are the things that you need. You need safety, you need satisfaction, you need connection. And we have a word for it, and the word is peace. We need those three things. The deeper I get, and you think of it, even just think about last night. What do you do when the, when the sirens go off? Do you not need to figure out your plan? Did you not need to have a plan of where you would be safe? And after it was over, did you not have that contentment of like, okay? And then lastly, don't you find your people? Don't you wait to hear from your people and know that you're connected? What you're doing is finding your peace. The deeper I get into life, the more I realize I don't need a lot of things, but I do need these things. So when Ben and Brett asked me to kind of jump in on the fruits of the Spirit, I signed up for peace I think mostly because I'm like, that's kind of the, one of the more elusive ones for me. And I thought maybe it will help me as I study and prepare for that. But this is from Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I remember years ago, one of our former students, uh, Jen, would come over to our house a lot. She was a college student. She was at OC. If you remember college days, or that, that's you right now. I don't really think we connect the word peace with dorm life, right? It's just, it's kind of chaotic and it's wild. It's fun. A lot of times we miss it, but we miss the good memories of it. We don't miss the fact of like, man, if I could just get a moment's peace. Jen would come over to our house and she would say, I like being in your home. I like being in your home. And she said, there's just this feeling of peace. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying it's interesting to me that peace is something that you can sense and feel in places and in people, right? It, peace is palpable when it is in a place, when it resides in the soul and the spirit of another person. You, you can tell. You can tell. That word peace gets thrown around quite a bit, not maybe as much as the word love does, but peace gets, said, gets spoken all the time. There are peace signs that signify a movement away from war 
and aggression. That first one was designed back in, I think, in 1958 uh, as an attempt to disarm all of the nuclear uh, weapons. And so you'll see that bottom peace sign. Uh, the semaphores, the signs that the, that the airport guys use to like, tell people where to go, are, in, are the N and the D superimposed on one another to form what looks like a broken cross, but N and the D for nuclear disarmament. And then when you see this peace sign, that goes all the way back to World War II days when people used to hold this up, V is in for victory. But then in the 70s, if I know my stories right, some other people who were peace advocates co-opted the victory sign because to them, victory for some meant loss for others. Does that make sense? Your victory might mean my loss or vice versa, and there's not much peace in that other than standing down from fighting. That's a different kind of peace. And then if we look at the, at the next slide, you'll see this symbol right here. This became religiously popular centuries ago. You think about the end of the flood, right? And you remember that story where the dove appears and then he goes away and the next time he comes back and he comes back with an olive branch in his mouth. And so we know that life has, has resurrected on the earth post-flood. And so the idea then is that God is bringing his peace back to the earth. And then for years after that, artwork would depict the dove with the olive branch and it's signed on many religious icons around Europe. And still today, what's interesting to me is you can find certain works of art where the dove with the olive branch in its beak are, are depicted in scenes of conflict, in biblical scenes of conflict. So Daniel and the lions, and you can find artwork with the dove. And I find that to me, that really speaks to my soul, the idea that the spirit of peace is available and ready to us even in moments of deep conflict and struggle. But this piece that Paul writes about in Galatians 5, this piece is the result of God bringing broken people back to himself. People no longer at odds with their creator. People no longer searching for why they're here on this earth. They are at peace. And once you're in that kind of space, it produces this great amount of confidence and freedom as we approach God. And that is peace. This piece is, a, is a, a version of that Jewish word, the Hebrew word, that we call shalom. Shalom has to do with being whole, with being your complete self, both, um, both on a personal level and on a relational level. Have you ever had peace in your life, in something going on in your life, but there's something amiss between you and somebody that you care about? You don't feel that full shalom, do you? You feel good about what's going on with you, but you may not feel good about what's going on with us. And this is why we gather together every week so that we can be in shalom, in peace with one another. As our strength and our confidence in the Lord rises in our personal walk, we become connected to one another. And that brings peace. We came here with all kinds of different things on our hearts today, some good and some heavy. But in this place we find shalom. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
This confident peace produces the big three things that I told you we all need at the very beginning. Safety, satisfaction, and connection. Romans 5, verse 1, 2, listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through Jesus, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, in other words, we have peace in Christ because he has secured our future. I don't want you to miss that. You have peace today because you know that your future is clear. How we're going to get there? Oh, man, no idea. And it is a struggle some days. But your future is secure. Being confident in your forever brings you peace in your today. Except for when it doesn't. Have you ever been in a crisis, I mean like a mess, a mess, with no way out, and you thought, man, I'm, I'm not getting out of this. I'm not, I'm not getting out of this. I have to be honest with you, Let's have, if we have a really real talk, thinking about heaven in that mess is not on your mind. Like when you're in the middle of it, and some of you are today, some of you are today, you're very rarely thinking, man, heaven. Heaven one day, you're not. You're not. And it's okay. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about it. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. I think back to 1986. Whew, it was a long time ago. But my family owned a boat. And my dad usually was the one that took the boat out. But by now, he trusted me with it. And so one night, we wanted to take, uh, it was the end of the summer. We are going to take our boat out to Lake Hefner. Just me and my boys, we were going to fish, hang out. And um, it was just a, it was a perfect evening. We caught a bunch of sand bass, laughed a lot, great night. Uh, we, I, we bring the boat back into the, to the ramp there. At the end of the day, we're going to put it up. My friend goes to get the car to back the trailer down, and I'm sitting out there waiting in the boat. And while I'm waiting there at the end of the dock at Hefner, um, a guy comes running up frantically to me. I didn't realize it at the moment, but the wind had picked up. And a storm was coming in. We didn't know. We were like college guys. We didn't pay attention to stuff like that. And, and so the guy says, hey, um, we've got a problem out in the lake. Can you come help us? And I was like, yeah, what's the deal? He goes, well, we're at, we have this sailboat, and um, it's, it's not working right, and we're stuck, and we're headed to the rocks. And it's a, it's a rented sa- sailboat, and we're afraid that we're going to crash it on those rocks on the, what, north side of the shore there. Please. And I was like, nah, man, I, I, mean, like, I don't really know about that kind of, I don't know how to fix sailboats. He was like, I just come, like, pull us away from the rocks. I said, no, nah, I think I'm good. And Brett told you I'm an Enneagram 2, so that means I eventually can be shamed into helping just about anybody, uh, <laughs> even, even when I'm unqualified. And he goes, it'll be fine. I said, okay, okay. So my friend comes down, and I said, put the car up. We're going to take these guys out. We go out in the lake. I'm going to tell this story as short as possible. Let's just say things didn't go according to plan. Um, the boat had the storm, the wind had really, you know, you know about Lake Hefner. It may be the windiest place on the planet. And by now, the boat has, their sailboat has flipped. 
It's upside down, and so the masts are, I don't know, 30 feet long, and they're upside down in the water, and these guys are freaking out. They're like, you, please, this is going to be thousands of dollars. Just tie a rope to the end of the boat, and we'll pull it upright. This is a big sailboat. Like, like the, this older version of me, I'm like, what made you think you could do this? So I tied a ski rope around the boat, and we just start pulling on that thing as hard as we could. And so as I'm pulling, and the sailboat's going nowhere, the back end, the transom, the low part of the boat is going down. And so it just became like a scoop to take in water, just gallons of water. And so my buddy's got like a coffee can, like that's going to do anything. And he's throwing water out 16 ounces at a time. And uh, <laughs> uh, so to shorten the story a little bit, let's just say that one big wave came all the way over my motor and killed it, completely flooded my, my boat, swamped my boat, and within Within three minutes' time, my boat's underwater, like sunk in Lake Hefner. And, and the storm's blowing in. It's a nightmare. And these clowns that I don't want to have anything to do with that are there in the water with me, like, I don't want to be with you. This is the end of my life. <laughs> and it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough. It was rough. And I think about Mark chapter 4. You know this story. Let's read this story. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, let's go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in a boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking. Right now, you're tempted to not listen to the rest of this story because you're like, oh, I've heard this before. You need to listen to this. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Hmm, that sounds familiar. But he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on the cushion. I love that little detail, which tells you that he was for sure, like, there in the moment. He's like, Jesus even had a pillow to sleep on, man. He was, like, not going to be bothered. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Do you not care? We're perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind. Like sleep, I'm picturing sleepy voice, right? Peace, just be still, right? And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, "All right, why are you so afraid? You still no faith?" And rather than peace, they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, "Who is this then that even the wind and the sea?" obey him. We don't have peace in this life because we're struggle-free. We have peace in this life because we know that in all things, this is the second thing, that we have peace in Christ because he is with us right now. He's with us right now. Our future is secure, but he's also with us now. This story, this story, I mean, the one thing I can say for sure is life is hard. It doesn't mean that we don't have fun moments along the way, but you think about your last week. Think about the seven days since you were last here, what all has happened. You had some issues at school? You have a couple things come up at work, at home? Did your kids, did your parents not do what you wanted them to do? Did your kids not show up when you thought they should show up? Were you worried about them? Did you run into a relationship problem? Of course you did. Of course you did. I've actually been by myself all week long um, doing some spiritual formation in Nashville. All, 
all week long. And every single meal I ate out, you guys ever eat by yourself at a restaurant? What do you do when you're eating at a restaurant? You listen to everybody else's conversation because you don't have anybody to talk to. So I had like 15 meals this week by myself. Every single eavesdropping that I did, every single one of them, somebody was having a thing. It was at work, it was at home, it was their car, it was their roof, and they weren't even in the tornado alley, right? They had a thing going on. That's life. And Christ can calm the storm, we read that, but he's already given us courage and peace to face it until he does calm it. He's already in it with us. And so maybe rather than telling our God how big our storm is over and over and over, we turn it around and maybe it's time for us to start telling the storm how big our God is. And hopefully looking forward to to the Lord brings you peace, so can looking at the right now when you know that Jesus is in the boat with you. Looking back over your past can bring you peace as well. We have peace in Christ because he proves to us he's been faithful to us in the past. I want you to take some moments today and remind yourself of times you can clearly see that God was with you right through to the end of the storm. Whether you're in a storm today or not, it's important to remember the times he's gotten you through it. 25 years, 25 years, I had an irregular heartbeat. I didn't talk about it much. I mean, my family knew about it. I've been to the doctor a million times. Misdiagnosed so many times, you guys. So many times. I don't know if any of you guys have that. It is hard. It is, it's hard to deal with. It's frustrating and very inconvenient. And a few years ago, I was resisting going to this one particular cardiologist because he had an intervention that was kind of the, the ultimate intervention. And you know what? You know why I didn't want to go? I'm going to be completely honest with you today. I've never said this out loud. Do you want to know why I didn't go to him to get the ultimate, the best intervention? Because because I was afraid that if I gave it my very best effort and it fell short, then I was out of options. And so I would rather tell myself that I'll, I'll always have that as a possibility. It's my cat in the bag, but I won't ever really go to that place because if it doesn't work out, then that means that God's not good and that means that I've just got to deal with this forever and ever and ever. So I can do 25 years for the prospect of maybe one day. Are you with me on that? I know you've done this. I know you've done We're afraid. We're afraid. All I'll tell you is, I don't know what happened. One day I was just like, okay, this is it. I, I, I met, met this doctor who's the most confident human being I've ever been around in my life, which makes sense for an interventional cardiologist. You like confidence in those guys? Um, and he says to me, we're fixing this. And he used some colorful wor- words to go with it. And I was like, let's go. Let's do this, and I did, I did, and I'm just telling you, I went in one day, it was an overnight procedure, I came out the next day, and you guys, that is 20, that is 18 months ago, completely fixed. Now, I say that to you to say I praise God in that, I'm reluctant to talk too much about that, because some of you are in that space where you can't see the end of it, where you can't see the victory in Christ. So I give Christ all the glory and all the praise for it, but know that I see and hear that some of you aren't feeling that today. 
in the suffering and in the frustration, we can find peace. We can. I won't tell you this story very long because I need to finish, but some of y'all used to sing, we used to sing a song in church, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Do you remember that song? And in verse two of that song, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Does anybody know that song? And did you ever sing that song and think, what, what are, what? Is this about like the guy from, is it the guy that was really grumpy at Christmas time? Or like, is he part of the Jesus story? I, the, the reality of that is in 1 Samuel, Israel had been beaten by the Philistines. I'm telling this story really fast. They wound up turning the story around and, and beating the Philistines. And then they came back later and they set up a stone in the ground and they called it the Ebenezer Stone so that they could come back to it year after year after year and say it was in this place, it was in this place that God showed up. It was in this place where he brought me peace, where he brought us victory, and we don't ever want to forget it. So we have peace when we look ahead. We have peace when we look behind. We have peace when we look at the steps right in front of us. And lastly, we have peace. We actually bring peace in Christ when we look to our left and to our right. We embody the peace of Christ in the relationships that we have at work, at home, at school, in your neighborhood. The study of human psychology says that all people need connection. We know that, I told you that, it bears witness to this. The more that you help others experience inclusion, the more that you help others know that they are seen. Nobody should ever walk into this church and I'm talking to literally every single one of you. Nobody should ever walk in this church and not feel that they've been seen. It should be impossible. Impossible. We look to our left and to our right because we want people to feel seen. We, everybody needs to know that they are liked. Everybody needs to know that they are loved. And the more they have these things, Feeling like, feeling love, feeling included, feeling that they've, they've been seen, the more we know this for a fact, they experience peace in their lives. And this is the beauty of it. Peace multiplies peace. When I experience it, I give it back to you, don't I? Peace begets peace. Jesus is so clear with us in Mark 9, 50. He says, be at peace with one another. Some of, them, some of us in the room haven't felt this, but you have persevered. Let me encourage you to stay in the path. Be peace to those around you even when they aren't peaceful. Like, How do I do that? How do I do that? Well, ask more questions as you seek to understand the other. Look less for your big moment to set other people straight. In a world that could use more of this, Peace begins with understanding and valuing people with all kinds of ideas and beliefs. Doesn't mean that you have to hold their beliefs. It means that you hold every person with those beliefs in high regard as the image of God. If we just break away into our own little echo chambers and subgroups, dividing divisions flourish. Misunderstandings are everywhere. And then communities, churches, countries, all they hope to do is Keep the peace. And let me tell you something. Keeping the peace is not the same as shalom peace. 
Listen to these words of Jesus. They're incredible. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's left his peace with us. It's already here. You don't have to talk in terms of if God shows up. He already showed up. And what he left behind was his peace. He's like, I don't give like the world gives. I give to you permanently. It's always yours. Now, I'm going to close with a story. And you're not going to believe me. You're going to think this is a preacher's story. And it is, but it's true. (laughs) Because I almost died in a boating accident twice. The last one was was just a few years ago. I was in a 24-hour adventure race called an Eco Challenge. It was down in the Quartz Mountain part of Oklahoma, um, and it's several different races. You're on a team, and you have a whole bunch of different legs to the race, mountain biking, hiking, rappelling, uh, kayaking, and running. That starts with a 10K race, so we run the race, and, and we're done with the race, and it's a little, I'm a little bit, I mean, you're tired, right? It's six miles. So I know that I look like an elite athlete, but I'm not. And so, so we, we get the second leg of the race is a kayak, two-person kayak. That's probably my best event back when I was doing these things. Uh, but my partner, wa- it was her worst event, but she's great at everything else. And so we get on the boat. And we have to race. It's five miles across the lake, across different points. Five miles. On the lake, again, you're not going to believe me, storm comes up. Now, the kayak, kayak's about this wide. And you're sitting like 90-degree angle. You have the little skirts on you to keep the water out. But we don't have those on racing kayaks. So water can come in. Storm comes up, about 45-mile-an-hour wind. The temperature drops down into the upper 30s, low 40s in, what, 10 minutes' time. And so I'm like, hey, thank goodness, it's, uh, we're going with the wind. <laughs> so we're just faster, faster, faster. We're, we're going along, and Valerie, my partner, sees these people in the water. They've capsized, because if you get that kayak sideways at all in 40-mile-an-hour winds, it's over about that fast. So they're in the water, freezing cold, super windy, probably four foot, three foot, four foot waves. And she goes, Jeff, we got to go help them. I said, absolutely, we do not have to go help them. <laughs> We, we got to win this sucker. And, uh, and she says, no, really. I said, Valerie, you told me yourself you're terrible at kayaks. Like, we can't, we can't get sideways in the water. We'll cap. So she goes, no, we, 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 we got it. So um, we go over there. And I, as we're paddling up to them, I said, do exactly what I say. And so they do for a minute, and then they get scared. And as they get scared, uh, they grab for my kayak. And when they try to pull themselves in, they pull our kayak over. And we've come out of the boat, and then Valerie, in a moment of just brilliance, we flip the kayak back, kayak back over, and we get back in before it sinks. Get back in. And I said, please, you guys, listen to me. Don't panic. Just do what I say. They did it again. And they sank my boat. <laughs> and there we are in the water. And I'm getting cramps from that race, and it's cold, and it's windy, and I had an ill-fitting life jacket, so every wave, the life jacket's up over my head, and I'm taking in water, and, I, and I'm out there in the middle of the lake, and I'm like, 
this is, this is how it's going to end. This is literally my last day on earth. And Sydney's going to be so mad at me for dying like this. And that was my honest thought. What I didn't tell you is my dad was really interested in our races, and so he had driven out that morning to watch us race. He couldn't see that part of the race, but he wanted to be on the shore on the other side when we got there. He found out from the radio that, there, that we were in trouble. We didn't know any of this. We didn't know any of it. We were just in the water, hoping to make it before we froze to death or got cramps and drowned. I'm telling you, I thought it was the end. As we're making it to shore, maybe in a mile and a half to shore from where we were, I could see somebody on the shore. I don't know who it is. I could see an ambulance show up, and I'm like, they need to be here because it's going to be bad. We're going to have hypothermia and whatever. As I get closer to shore, you guys, I could see it. It's my father standing on the shores of that lake. My dad didn't know how to rescue people in the water, but my dad, as I look back, all he's ever done is be for me. He's always for me. He's always been there. And I think if I can just get to him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Oh, man. I've only told that story maybe one other time in my life because nobody ever believes me. But if our future is what's ahead and our past is what's behind and our now is what's in front of us and the people that bring God into our lives and that we bring to them are to our left and right and if all of these moments to both experience the peace of Christ and to be the peace of Christ are ours, then we are surrounded. Psalm 139. I love this. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. Catch this now. You hem me in behind and before. Your hand is upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. close with the words of Romans 15. May the hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peace to you. Let's stand and worship together.